Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. We fly by the seat of our pants here at the uh, 10% Happier podcast. This interview with Danica Patrick, um, I had no or basically... I would say I had maybe an hour or two's warning that that uh, that this was going to happen. I didn't I didn't have any time. I was in the middle of a bunch of meetings, and our intrepid producer Lauren Efron managed to find out that Danica Patrick was in town doing press, talking about her new book, which is called Pretty Intense, in which she discusses meditation. So Lauren finds this out, somehow finagles it so that Danica can come in to our studio and. I uh, need to get my butt in the chair by uh, 2.30 in order to sit and talk to Danica Patrick, about whom I know almost nothing other than she drives fast cars and it seems really cool. So I showed up here not knowing much, but Danica helped me out. I admitted to her that I, didn't, I don't I don't follow sports, so I don't I – mean, again, I know who she is because she's a big figure in the culture, uh, but I, I beyond that, I don't really – I, I know next to nothing, but she was, as you will hear, uh, I, I I am fully honest with her about my uh, thoroughgoing ignorance about her book and about her career, but she turns out to be a delight. She's absolutely delightful, and she's really interested in meditation. She talks about it, as some of our guests on this podcast occasionally do, in a very different way than I do. She She's she's happy to go into sort of new agey territory that I don't usually go into, but she's essentially, if you listen to her, saying the same thing. And I think that somebody in her position can reach all vast swaths of uh, the population that that traditional meditation proponents never could. So it's really exciting that she's she appears to be really genuinely interested in this and, and excited to go further. So uh, so here she is, Danica Patrick, who is a very successful NASCAR driver, uh, indie uh, car driver. I'm sure I'm mangling her her qualifications here. She's also a model. Uh, she's got a bunch of businesses. She's an advertising spokeswoman. She does a lot. And she also, as I said, has this new book called Pretty Intense. So here she is, Danica Patrick. From ABC... This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. I had no idea when I woke up this morning I was going to be face-to-face with Danica Patrick. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of cool. Um, thank you for doing this. Like, this is, uh, just so listeners know, this is absolutely last minute and yeah. crazily last minute. You know, everything happens for a reason, though, and the universe just kind of puts things in line. So, you you know, this worked out and timing worked out. And, in fact, actually, the interview right before you that's been canceled like two or three times got canceled again. <laughs> and so it was like we got here with plenty of time and um, it's on the way to the airport. So um, to head back and the plane could get moved. Everything worked out. You know as it does, right? You set as your intention does. for things and, you know, you put out in the universe what it is that you want and everything kind of falls in line. So here I am. So um, because as a consequence of not knowing when I woke up this morning that I was ultimately going to be interviewing yeah. you today, I want to admit that I know absolutely nothing about your new book. That's so fine. you're going to have to educate me. Pretty and intense. you have a new book, too, so congrats. I do. Thank you. And Thank I don't you. know enough about that either, but I was learning about it on the way over okay. here. Okay. Well, for the purposes of this discussion, anything that I've written is completely irrelevant. So <laughs> I want to talk I about your I hope not, book. because I'm going to ask about stuff. <laughs> okay. You can ask me whatever you want. Okay. Pretty Intense, the 90-day mind, body, and food plan that will absolutely change your life. So just can you give me the elevator pitch on this one? Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's th- it's three-part book. Um, um the first five chapters are about the mind and, you know, creating good space for yourself and developing good techniques to overcome things and be more confident um, and get more in touch with sort of your spirit soul side of you. Uh, the next five chapters 
are about the body and why the program is structured like it is. And then after that is a 12-week program uh, that I wrote, tested, and then also focus group tested one year ago at this time. Um, and uh, and then the last the last section of the book is another five chapters on food and how to you know use spices and oils and all kinds of different things. Just you know how to be more daring with those things and educate people on them. How to cook certain items and tips and tricks for that. And then um, fifty recipes that I wrote um, and photographed. So. It's a shame we only have 30 minutes because I'm really interested in each part of this book. Okay, good. Well, my dream is that it sells so well that they want to do a three-book deal and I have a a book for each section. So do you want to be like a transition from driver to guru? Now I – Guru, I love that. That'd be that's like a. I don't know if that's achievable. Well, it could be your own guru, I guess, right? But um, it, it's uh, it's more of what's happening, and it's not because I decided that's what I wanted to happen. Just like I didn't want to, I didn't know how my life was going to look as a race car driver, but I set some high intentions and goals, and things happen. You know, you shoot for the stars and land on the moon, and you do pretty well. So, um, so the same thing goes for the rest of it, which is all the other businesses that have wonderfully started all about the same time and in the same vein. Um, So the first one that's the oldest company I have um, is my wine. Um, So that launched at the beginning of this year, a project I started in 2008, actually, was when I saw the property, Um, but started with that dream in 2006. And then um, my clothing line started a year ago called Warrior. And um, this book finally launches now, um, which I've been working on for two years. So ironically, just everything's kind of happening at the same time. And so uh, somebody asked me, they're like, oh, are these all backup plans if racing doesn't, you know, if something doesn't happen in racing? And I'm like, I don't, I don't need a backup plan. I've got, I've got plenty of money. I, don't, <laughs> <laughs> I do them because I like to do them. You know, yeah. I think, it, you know, at some point in your career, you reach the point where you're like, well, I, I'm not going to do that anymore because it's not worth it to me. Um, these things are all just things that I do anyway. So I love to cook. I love to work out. I love to take care of myself. I love to travel. I love wine. I love the, I love the arts. So, um, yeah, it's all just, it's all just happened. Really cool. So, so the uh, let's dive in on the first part of the book, okay. which is, I think you said mind body. Yeah, mind. it's kind of the mind body connection with working out, food, all of that stuff, and you know, g- creating a creating a space for you to um, learn about yourself a little bit more. I think one of the hardest things that we can work on and figure out, and it's like the it seems like it would be the easiest, is figuring out who you really are. Because I think we end up trying to be what we need to be sometimes. We are what someone expects us to be sometimes. We're what we kind of expect ourselves to be sometimes, which isn't always accurate. So I think one of the hardest things to do is to figure out who you really are and what you really stand for, what you really love and enjoy, regardless of everything else. So in your world, the, the world that you come from, race car driving, can can you talk about the mind freely? Can you talk to your pit crew about your mind and setting intentions and meditation and stuff like that. Or I'm not you- really sure those are words that we all that anyone really uses on a regular basis in that world, you know. Um, but look, uh, you set goals. So I think at the beginning of the year, there are certain things, you know, teams and crew chiefs and drivers and whatnot will set goals. So I guess that's somewhat similar. Of course, you know, they're a little bit less of a deep thought to it as a, other than we want to win this year, we want to have top tens every weekend and, you know, but there's still intentions for sure. Um, so you just, you can talk about it, but you have to put it in a different language. 
Yeah, it's you know more layman's terms, less yeah. less big words. I mean, that's the why I often say that when I talk about meditation, my only real innovation is that I use the F word a lot, and is to make it to make it accessible to people. I yeah. just swear a lot uh, and yeah. tell funny stories, and, and that's so th- funny. I do that too. I swear just to make people feel relaxed. Yes, like, yes. Especially if they're like intimidated by me, you know, you yeah. just kind of soften it up. Be like, no, no, I'm just like you. Yeah, we're all the same. Absolutely. Well, we really all are, are all way more similar than we are different. So, given this culture that that we're talking about here, how did you personally get into meditation? How that how did that even happen? You know, it's funny because it's been going a lot faster for me in the recent last two years, I'd say, getting into meditation and the spiritual side of things, metaphysics. Um, and uh, But if I look back in time, and also I'm told little stories by, like, my mom or my dad or my sister maybe even, where they're like, oh, yeah, you, you bought a you bought a horoscope book back when you were like a Linda Goodman's horoscope book back when you were a kid. And, you know, I called an astrologer. I remember I was living in England. I called an astrologer when I was 18. I mean, like silly stuff like that. And I can remember being really interested in that. And I can also remember being really interested in the spiritual side of things, but also not believing any of it, like always being the interested skeptic, like always asking questions, but never crossing things off but never circling it really mm-hmm. and just asking more questions i just i really question everything yeah interested skeptic is a nice way to put that. that's exactly how i describe myself yeah but you did ultimately notwithstanding your skepticism adopt a meditation practice or yeah or, so what does that look like um you know for i would okay, this is a great topic and we probably spend of course 30 plus many hours on it but um you know, I've always prayed since I was young. Um, don't know why. I never went to church. Um, my mom would pray with us before we went to sleep, um, but always had a real connection and an emotional connection. Like I remember giving a, a little speech to um, – it was like a homeless shelter actually, and I was helping feed feed them. And I did it for a friend. And anyway, I was giving a little bit of background and talking about you know religion and God and all that stuff. And I – I kind of choked up and I can't even get the words out. Like it's been quite big and deep, but I just never really went into it. And so um, that kind of led me more into spirituality. And I've always been interested in yoga. And now yoga is kind of like I to me, it's like a gateway because the lingo and the thoughts are really they're really spiritual, broad thoughts. They're not like they're nothing fear based. Right. Which I think is what religion tends to lean towards is fear based things. Um, so I've always done that, and so I've always been interested and kind of heard those words and concepts. Um, and uh, and you know, me and my girlfriends are are quite similar. So um, we went on a trip to Sedona um, probably three years ago or so, three and a half years ago, and it was like this. It was like just cracking it wide open. We went on like these vortex tours, and we went to. Um, uh, what is the uh, where you walk around the path? Hang on, I'm trying to remember what those. Oh, are is it like a, a, a um, labyrinth? Labyrinth. We yes. went to the labyrinth. Yeah. We, you know, we're like picking up male and female rocks on Kachina and Sedona, <laughs> like this special place. And we went and saw psychics, and um, you know, we're burning Palo Santo and sage, and we're looking at pictures and thinking we're seeing like angels and orbs and i'm like it's a, later to find out it's a lens lens flare but we all we were going way there and um and uh it just kind of was one of those trips that for me kind of was like 
wow, I'm into this. Like, I want to know more. And so meditation is kind of just a natural evolution, I feel like, of it because it's probably the hardest part about it because the hardest thing to do is to really shut everything off. And I'm still not very good at it, but um, it's really interesting when you can start to get to the point where you can get lost, like the time escapes you, um, which doesn't happen a ton for me, but it it can. And where uh, other times it's a a little bit more forced, but it's a practice and you have to get good at it and identify with certain techniques that get you a little bit deeper, um, which is what I want to ask you about. Um, But for me, it's like it's uh, deep breaths, like I usually take 10 deep breaths and um, then I start um, I start to uh, at least just visualize the breath or breathing in white and out black. I've done that for a really long time. Actually, I don't even know why I did that. But I think the Cubs do that, too. Like a breathe in red, breathe out blue, or something like that. Oh, They're, really? Yes, yeah. Huh. I could be wrong about that. Sorry to Cubs if I got that wrong, but <laughs> um, but it's it's something I've always done, and so I've gotten to the point where I see things, um, I hear things, you mm. know, I hear not like literally audio, but I receive messages or words or certain things, and it helps me get more in touch with sort of that small voice within on a regular basis when I'm not in a meditation state um, where I can hear the hear my spirit is what I would call it uh, saying things to me Um, and it's usually spoken to me in one or two words is all and uh, they're repetitive Um, and um, but visions too like I see things me and my girlfriend have been laying down because these girls trips I'm referring to that we go to Sedona and all these other places um, I I we sleep next to each other because we're a bunch of girls. And um, me and this other girl, Amanda, we um, we I can see what she sees. Like we're able to sort of telepathically see the same visions. It's really interesting. So on our last trip, she was like, oh, hey, sorry for all those flashes last night. And I'm like, what? Because I was going to sleep and all I saw was just like this flashing light with my eyes closed. And like that's just one of, of quite of a few things that we've had that with. So anyway, the subconscious, the spirit, the sort of un- universal connection is uh Freaking interesting. Has it helped you at all race driving? Race <laughs> I'm not driving? sure. Um, I, no, I mean, yeah, you can, I mean, you can talk about the the mm, sort of more far out end of it, which mm-hmm, you just did. But mm-hmm. there's also the the fact that just simply trying to focus on breathing mm-hmm. can can help your ability to focus. And your job requires an enormous amount of focus. So that's insightful and smart that that would be the first thing that helped. And it was long, long time ago, just from yoga and breathing, I learned sort of the in through the nose, out through the mouth kind of an exhaling like, you know, ujjayi restriction of like, you know, just slowing it down. I, I would use that practice a long time ago. While on the yeah on, on the, the track, track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean because I, I I mean I'm thoroughly ignorant about um, uh, racing driving because I grew up in Massachusetts. Yeah. That's okay. I like the Northeast as, is yeah. actually doesn't know a ton a about racing. That's fine. Yeah. Yes, uh, I don't care. I love I love it. It's more interesting to me when you don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so we have about the heart rate of a of a runner um, when wow. we're ra- racing. Wow. So it's kind of like a marathon every Sunday. Wow. So yeah, the breathing is really important. And also focus, because you lose yeah. focus, you actually could hurt yourself or others. Yeah, absolutely. Or, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I would imagine, given the culture from which you emerged, the fact that you were willing to embrace these tactics mm-hmm. could give you a competitive edge, because mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. would reflexively reject them, mm-hmm. say, oh, no, that's mm-hmm. weird stuff, I'm not going to do it. No, it's true. The that, that connection to myself, to be able to slow things down and calm myself, as well as um, kind of feel the energy around me. So I don't, you know, people talk about like walking into a room like, oh, bad juju in here or whatever, like that. Everybody 
everybody senses these things and is capable. It's just whether or not you're really listening or paying attention or not. So I can sense these things on track, too. Like, I can tell when things are ramping up and, um, like, I can call it out to my spot or, like, be ready. Like, this is going to get a little crazy. And sure enough, it does. Interesting. So I would say, I mean, my my guess of why – my guess, if I had to guess, I'm not – I don't know much about um, – Telepathy, or oh, yeah. under, or get, or understanding things that you have no objective reason to understand. But if I had to guess what the mechanism is, meditation helps you lower the volume on your internal chatter, mm-hmm. pull you out of the dark hole of self-absorption, less ego. Yes. Always less ego. Yes. And actually, that's probably one of the first things that happened in this sort of transition for me is that identifying the difference between soul and ego was very valuable because the soul's not. Uh, completely pointless, or the ego is not completely pointless. No. It's somewhat motivating. Yes. It's just a matter of how you use it. You have to be able to separate the good parts of the ego from the bad parts of the right. ego. What's, I often talk about you constructive anguish. I mean, there is such a thing as, like, if you want to be great at anything, mm-hmm. you've been mm-hmm. proven to be great at many things. It requires stress, a certain amount of stress. Mm-hmm. But at some point, that stress is no longer useful. And, and the self-awareness that you generate through meditation can help you discern, mm-hmm. all right, well, Am I engaged in like a stupid amount of self-laceration, self-questioning right now? Or actually, does this help me? Right. And just being able to toggle back yeah. and forth makes yeah. a huge Absolutely. difference. Absolutely. It's a tough thing to identify. Most of us leave, live in an ego state. Um, but it's it's uh, it also gets you out of flow, out of flow. Like, I think, again, getting back to what you're really supposed to be doing and who you really are, if you... Uh, are constantly led by the ego. It's so self-serving immediately. It wants uh, instant gratification. And so that's not always ideal for the long-term well-being of where you should be or what you should be doing. So when you take the ego out, you allow yourself to flow in the right direction for what you really, your your real purpose. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher and also Zen practitioner Robert Waldinger, never worry alone. Our temptation many times is to keep it bottled up, but the data really show that the people who do the best in life, who live the longest and are the happiest, have strong relationships with people with whom they can talk about whatever's going on in their lives. And for me, therapy is part of that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you might give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash happier today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash happier. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile. Third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Before we get to the other parts of the book, I want to harken back to something you said that I feel like maybe there's some chance I can 
be useful on? Um, Meditation? Yes. Please. You said, I'm not good at it. Well, um, I don't have a lot of practice, um, but I would like to be better. I just want to liberate you from, or try to liberate you from the idea that you have to be good at it. That I actually think this is one of the rare activities, for, especially for type A people, and I think we both are, but <laughs> you are a real achiever. That w- people like us, and particularly you, you do a thing and you expect certain results, expect to win. Mm-hmm. This is a rare activity where that attitude is actually not helpful. Mm-hmm. And so it requires like an attitude shift where the moment you wake up, the moment you notice, oh, yeah, I'm distracted right now. I'm not with the breath. I'm not winning at meditation. Mm-hmm. Actually, you need to reframe that as a victory because mm-hmm. as soon as you wake up to your internal chaos, as soon as you see how easily distractible mm-hmm. you are, mm-hmm. that is when you are less like – that is the first step toward not being to owned. To identify. Yeah, not being owned by all of your urges and impulses and crazy chaotic mm-hmm. desires. So I just want – when next time you meditate, whenever that is, when you notice you've become distracted and you're tempted to tell yourself a story of, oh, I'm failing, actually flip the – script and be like, no, 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 this is the victory. Mm. This is the act of meditation mm. over and over Love and that. over again. That's great. Again, positive. It's about positivity, right? Yes. And uh, positive self-talk. And um, yeah, uh, obviously, if, you, if, you, if you're recognizing a, a need for a little something different, then it's a recognizing your disconnect from what you're trying to achieve, which is a victory. It can also be, you know, in the moment when you see how, like, you're distracted, you can see there's a certain, I mean, I don't know about whether it makes sense to talk about positive, negative, and, and what I'm about to say, that you can see um, that you're actually maybe engaged in an unhealthy mental habit. You may mm-hmm. notice, oh, I've been sure. distracted by um, jealousy or anger. And then you can say, oh, so that's in me. That exists in me. I should see that clearly so that when it ambushes you later in the day when you're not meditating and mm-hmm. you're tempted to say something stupid or f- go off into a, a, a bout of road rage – you can let it pass. Mm-hmm. And that is a game-changing skill. So more identifying. So, yeah, I, not not yes. saying it shouldn't be there. Yes. It's totally there. It's yes. identifying yes. that seeing, becomes the real victory. Seeing clearly. Mm. Seeing clearly. That's great. Because, um, yeah, it's impossible to think that it doesn't exist. It does. It does. It's human nature. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's where we are as beings. Absolutely. We, we, this is what the mind – this is the mind we've been given by evolution. Mm-hmm. And so you might as well see it clearly because when you don't, mm-hmm. it owns you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the rest of your book, so the, the 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 second part of the book has to do with body. Yeah, the 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 fitness part, the body part is um, the chapters are to explain the the style, but it's it's a twelve week program. I really believe that the first sort of month you're going to notice a difference. First two to four weeks, you're gonna be like, oh my god, this is so great, <laughs> wonderful, it's working. And then you spend sort of six weeks in the middle, going, what's happening? I'm not seeing any changes, and it's just your body acclimating to its new set point position, and it's going to evolve again as you continue to challenge it and you give it this consistent workout and and um, and food. Now, the last I think that, you know, in the last few weeks, you really notice the final difference. Again, you kind of reach a new a new spot, a new a new set point. Um, So it's uh, seven workouts a week. I encourage two a day workouts. So to do two days of two a days and And two days off every workout except for one is designed to be 20 to 25 minutes. So they're not that long. Right. Exactly. Could you do the two? Back to back? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I said I'd love for you to separate them because it's good for your metabolism. It's good for 
it's good for a lot of things. But if you can't, then then I'd rather see the I'd rather you get them in. So you do two a day, and then you take two days off subsequently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's not not subs- It's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off, Friday, and then Saturday long workout, Sunday off. Like that's the example of a workout of a workout week. But what I was surprised about when I wrote the example week was that people followed that, and I was like, oh shoot, <laughs> I was just trying to say like. This is a guideline, but people really followed that, and it worked very well for them. But um, maybe your day off is um, is a better day for a two day. Maybe that's a Sunday. You know what I mean? I mean, or maybe that's your long workout. So it's really about your schedule. But it's it's five days on, two days off, and two two a days. Um, and so there's three cardio workouts a week, which are interval training. So it's you know it starts off with um, you know not quite such high intervals. So they're broken into three categories. The first month is about run is about jogging. Then the second month is running, and then the third month has to do with sprinting. So you know. Uh, literally, it's just an increase in um, your intensity, hence the name of the book called Pretty mm-hmm. Intense. So um, so you just jack it up as you go. And uh, and so those are fun. Those are like one minute on, one minute off running. It might be like five air squats and five broad jumps, 30 seconds of running, one minute off. So it, it breaks it up so that it goes really fast. It's only it's like a, about a five minute warm up of sort of light, light jogging or walking and then your 20 minute workout. And uh, then there's upper body, lower body and an abs day. So those are your those are your base six. And then their seventh workout is a uh, long circuit. So that one's designed to be 30 to 45 minutes of uh, I call it more of like a stacked workout. So it might be like three different things or it might be one really long one. Um just to do something different. And what's funny is that most people really love that day, actually. Mm. Um, uh, people that do cardio really like the, the interval running because it was fresh and different. Um, but a lot of people really love the long circuit. So um, so that's how it's broken up. And uh, it's tough, man. I remember when I tested everything because I, I mean, I wrote and tested everything before the focus group and um, I had to make sure it was good. And um, and uh, I was like, man, I hope these workouts are hard enough. And I would do them and I'd be like, oh, yeah, they're hard. <laughs> <laughs> and if they're hard for me, I'm, 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 I'm just being honest. I'm, I'm very fit, so um, I was I was glad. <laughs> so let me ask a question that is going to again reveal my vast oceanic ignorance about your sport. Not a problem. Why do you need to be this healthy to drive a car? I don't. I don't. I'm just interested in it. So you could could you be overweight and, and compete in your sport? Yeah, you could. Have you seen the whole field? I mean, some are more in shape than others, and some are less in shape than others. So you, it, that's not you don't need to be like peak fitness at all. No, especially for NASCAR. NASCAR is physically not hard from a strength standpoint. Even from a stamina, your heart rate is not that that high, um, but because you're not including strength, right? That's why you got to use weights, right, when you're working out, because it really, really helps get the uh, heart rate up. Um, but it's um, it's 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 repetition and it's very hot. So the cars are 130 or 100, at least 130 degrees a lot of the time. Right. Although I would add, because your sport is so mental, mm-hmm. that have, being fit in terms mm-hmm. of taking care of your body. Yeah. Keeps that sharp, uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. and it the does. food, and that has to do with food too. It does. So let, let's talk about the food part of it. So what? Where? What? It's are not your... really quantifiable, though. You know, it's kind of working working in the metaphysics area of of you, racing. Right? You can quantify it by how uh, much you win. It's true. Well, <laughs> shit. Can I say that <laughs> you can swear. I didn't on this win podcast. enough. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't win enough. Then I guess I should wasn't healthy enough. <laughs> so so tell me about your food uh, advice. Uh, well, so about four years ago, I cut out dairy and gluten. I did a I did a blood test where um, not sugar. No, it didn't say sugar necessarily. No. Oh, interesting. Just, um, I just uh, well, it it was an it was called IgA and IgG was the test code, and it tested for the ninety six or eight most common foods that people eat, and so. Um, 
I mean, I tested positive for eggs, gluten, dairy, all kinds of stuff that I ate normally. And so that shifted everything. And I noticed a great increase in energy, um, not feeling full after I ate. Uh, and then two years later, I, uh, I actually did uh, freeze my eggs. And so I had to do hormones. And uh, I, everything was fine. I mean, I stayed working out. And then at the very end, they tell you not to. So like what? I mean, 10 days I didn't work out for, which is not nearly enough to gain four pounds. So I did. I gained like four or five pounds, wow. and it was just hormones. It was just just hormones. And after a month or six weeks, I was like, they said it'd go back to normal after a few weeks, and it didn't. And so I'm like, all right, well, I, I, I guess I got real real things to deal with here. So I uh, I decided to change my program, and I had already been doing CrossFit, and it was it worked great, and it was a wonderful program. But um, but I uh, I decided to to sort of kick it up a notch, and that's when I started doing. I was walking the dogs actually, and I decided that I would work out, and then you know another time of the day. I'd go take up the dogs for a walk and I was like well why don't I work out while I'm walking the dogs that would make a lot of sense so that's where the two days kind of started and um, and I decided to try paleo which was cutting out grains and beans as well and um, I didn't think it was sustainable because driving on you know on the weekends for four hours four hours on every Sunday was going to be taxing and I didn't want to be out of energy for that but two years later I'm still 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 paleo interesting is that what you recommend everybody do uh, yeah, in the book I do. It's uh, it's about the things to cut out, the things to uh, limit, and then the things to eat. And so the limit, the food to limit would be um, gluten-free grains and beans. So I don't say cut it out completely, but it's uh, encouraged. We only I mean, a there's few... a couple of recipes in the back that include like corn tortillas and things like that. So, you know. So you're not like militaristic about this. Right. I mean, maybe I am, but you're trying to be realistic. Not here. to your readers. Um, well, I mean, it's... You know, I have a corn tortilla chip every now and again dipped in guacamole. So, you know, every now and again. Do you, do you allow yourself a cookie? I love cookies, but I have to make cookies the way I want them, which is my style. I don't eat a regular cookie that's got – I don't. I, I, I almost never eat gluten. Mm-mm. Gotcha. Makes um, me feel terrible. Sugar makes me feel terrible. I've, I've, I've tried to figure out – I limit my gluten. Unnatural almost. sugar or natural – or even like fruit sugar? It's fruit sugar is fine. Okay. Yes. So just unnatural soap, yes. cane sugar. Yes. And, Artificial sweeteners and yes. stuff. Yeah, yes. I can't deal with artificial sweeteners. Even they, honey and agave. Awful. I don't really. Yeah, Even honey. Right. Yeah. Makes me feel <laughs> you ever bad. tried manuka honey? No. Okay, that's like. Uh, I actually think it's like came from. I thought it was a New Zealand thing, but it's a. Uh, um, it's a really. It actually tastes much more smooth and um, naturally sweeter and less bitter than regular honey. But it's known for its sort of bioactive um, ingredients that are more. Um, I think they're a little more antibacterial. Um, so I don't know. Try manuka honey. Maybe something that wouldn't bother you. Will do. It's a little more expensive. Like I buy when I buy them at the store. There's a certain amount of activeness that they have. So one says like plus ten, plus fifteen, plus forty. I'm like the plus forty. Like of course. Uh, and you know, I mean, a little jar of it's like forty dollars. Well, you're Danica Patrick. That's how you roll. I mean, I I, I can afford it. <laughs> So, Everyone can afford well-being. Actually, I read something that said that that uh, the average person spends it's either three hundred or six hundred thousand dollars in the last six of their six months of their life trying to save it. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for doing this. Yeah, you're this welcome. Like thank incredibly you. Incredibly fun to talk so to. So wait, I need a, I need a, I need a, I need a not a meditation. You gave me great information and great perspective mm-hmm. and a great mindset position. Um, but what is uh, – tell me what you do when you meditate. Just finish off by telling me like a great intro, how, sure. what you do. So the kind of meditation I do is called mindfulness meditation. It's like the simplest, in my view, kind. And it's also the kind of meditation that's been studied the most in the labs. 
my parents are scientists. My wife is a scientist. I'm really, uh, I was too bad at math to be a scientist, but I'm interested in like knowing that there's some research there. And so it's really simple. You, there are basically three steps. The first is you sit in a reasonably quiet place. It doesn't have to be pristine. The second, uh, and you close your eyes, mm-hmm. um, or you can keep them open a little bit if you want. The second step is you try to just bring your full attention to the feeling of your breath. Mm-hmm. You're not breathing in a special way, just like whatever your breath feels like. Pick one spot, like your nose or your chest or your belly, and you just feel your breath coming in and going out. And the third step is the key, because as soon as you try to do this, as you know, you're going to get distracted. Your mind will mutiny. You're going to think about, you know, what's for lunch, mm-hmm. whatever. The whole game is just to notice when you become distracted and to start again and again and again. And that is a bicep curl for your brain. It shows up on the brain scans. And you're rewiring your ability to focus and in the moment you see you become distracted and you let it go, mm-hmm. you're learning how to be what we call mindful. You're, you're, you're seeing your inner chaos mm-hmm. without biting the hook and mm-hmm. acting on it. And that changes your mm-hmm. whole life mm-hmm. because there's so many times during the day where the voice in my head gives me a terrible idea like, you know, eat um, a million cookies or say something that your wife will take Sorry, make, 72 make hours to forgive you feel bad about, for. yes. about yourself for. Yes. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Well, this is uh, also definitely I've read a little bit, um, but I want to keep reading more. That's I don't make New Year's resolutions, but I have quite a few books now and I, I really want to read a bit more. And um, uh, but and you can help me with the pronunciation because I, I, I always said Eckhart Tolle. But is it Tolle? Tolle. Yeah. Tolle. Yes. I mean, it's very Eckhart Tolle. Right. So it's present, you know, Yes. Uh, which I, I tell me if you agree with this. I feel like if you were present all the time, you would literally do nothing. <laughs> Uh, so I have a lot of complicated feelings about Eckhart Tolle. I, I sort of make fun of him in my book, although I, I don't think... <laughs> Perfect topic then. Yes, I don't think he's full of it, though. I actually think... My, this is my opinion. I don't have any evidence. But I actually think that he truly has had a shift. Um, it's just my a consciousness my sense. shift. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's speaking to us from a place where he's had this shift and it's not accessible to most of us. And that's why what he says is very hard to understand. Well, it's hard to do. I mean, if you if you literally live in the present and you're thinking not about the future, yes. you're not thinking about the past, you're not touch, you're doing nothing. And there is a certain expansion you can feel when you feel that for a second. And he does a great job. And, you know, the things I've listened to of like start right now. To now and like practice that length and feel it. And you're like, whoa, you can kind of feel it, but you can't you're not doing anything. So it's a it's a it's a good awareness to have. But um, but so maybe a little bit of Eckhart Tolle in meditation. But, you know, once you start walking, you need to start thinking about where you're going. Well, I, look, I, <laughs> I think there's a lot to be learned from reading Eckhart Tolle books. I would say that reading one of his books changed my life. Mm. But. He was does, it the power of now? Because that's the one I have. It's um, oh. a new earth. But, but he oh, says okay. the same thing in both books. Got it, right. So, well, how many times can you say the same thing? Well, because he's saying something that takes a hard uh, – that is very hard for human beings to absorb. For it sure. actually is worth reading and rereading. Mm. It, my problem with him is that he says it in ways that I find like – almost like you can hear a pan flute playing in the background. I find it very off-putting and hard to understand. Mm. I think he sometimes uses pseudoscientific language mm. and – uh, so I, I, my whole sort of meditation career subsequent to reading Eckhart Tolle has been about putting it in my own language. Oh, that's wonderful. Something more accessible. 
I, I think so. that's kind of what I'd like to do to round this off since I know we need to get going, but and but this is very interesting. I don't need to get going. There's no plane I, waiting for me okay. at Teterboro. I'm well, it's not, a, it's not a commercial plane, so <laughs> we'll just make them wait a little bit. Um, but uh, is, you know, I, while it's easy enough to get sort of swallowed up in woo-woo land and get to the point where you, nobody can understand you anymore, um, I would love to make mindfulness more accessible, digestible, usable, um, but you have to start somewhere with people. So that's kind of the intro to the book with the first five chapters is kind of literally just scratching the surface on getting more in touch with yourself and creating spaces that let you feel more and um, get to know yourself. So there's little like exercises in there about, you know, writing things down in the book and asking thought provoking questions Mm -hmm. and even just simple things like if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Like list your top three places, like starting to manifest things. Like starting to create intentions and let words on paper be, you know, the beginning of manifestations. And you, uh, you, because of the platform you occupy, because of who you are, your ability to reach audiences that can never be reached mm. with a message of meditation is inc- is yeah. probably greater than you even know. And so I would, I think that's really interesting. I had an astrologer tell me that at the beginning of last year. There She's like, go. I see writing and like you can reach a crowd that not many can. And yes. anyway, a lot of times I've talked to an astrologer a couple of times and, um, a lot of times things don't make sense, and then you go back and listen, and you're like, holy <laughs> I mean, It's not everything, but, you know, we just had a supermoon, so why wouldn't you Why wouldn't you go ahead and talk? I was looking at the moon the other night with my son. The, nice. There's a meme that I always see on social media, and it says, uh, it says, oh, wow, look at the moon. Literally me every night. <laughs> That's me. Wow, look at the moon. The moon is the feminine energy, so I connect with that. I have a lot of masculine energy, obviously, so... You know, got to connect with the moon. Yin and yang. Um, thank mm-hmm. you very much for coming. Yeah, in. Really thank appreciate you. It. Yeah, it's pleasure. fun. We should do it again. Uh, anytime. All right. Let me know. You have an open guest uh, pass here. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate it. Okay, that does it for another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to subscribe, rate us. Also, if you want to suggest topics you think we should cover or guests that we should bring in, hit me up on Twitter at Dan B. Harris. Importantly, I want to thank uh, the people who produce this podcast, Lauren Efron, Josh Cohan, and the rest of the folks here at ABC who helped make this thing possible. We have tons of other podcasts. You can check them out at abcnewspodcasts.com. I'll talk to you next Wednesday. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.
For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.